Welcome to the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast, your place for positive, uplifting messages of hope. You can learn more about us at fredericksdachurch.org. When we think about the Christmas story, Joseph often gets forgotten, but his is one of incredible faith. And Robert Quintana asks if we would have that kind of faith if we were in his shoes. In part two of Captured by the Wonder. So I need to be very honest with you from the very beginning, you see, because most messages you will leave happy, excited, fulfilled, encouraged. You will leave most messages feeling like, man, I have just learned something that I am ready to apply to my life. Well, that might not be the case today. And I apologize for that. Because you might leave today maybe a little bit more confused than when you came in. I'm going to share with you some things that as you walk away today and as you spend time contemplating this next week, you might have a little bit of a hard time understanding how to incorporate what we're about to learn into your life. But I want to share with you that it is a good struggle to have. It is a good thing to wrestle with. Let me ask you guys a question. Has anyone here ever wondered what is God's will for my life? What does he want for me? Uh, What's the direction I need to take? Do I need to accept the job offer if it's extended to me? Do I say yes if he asks me on a date? What is God's will for my life? What school should I go to? I've put out all these applications and, and maybe you've gotten back several responses. What school do I go to? What do I do in this business transaction? Do I follow through with this contract? What is God's will for my life? Do I accept the job offer? Maybe you're in a season in your life right now where you're going through a time where you're trying to decide what is God's will for my life. And if you're not currently, chances are you have been through those moments. And chances are that you will go through those moments again. What is God's will for my life? I want to share with you a passage in Scripture And this is where things are going to start getting a little murky and maybe a little bit confusing. But I'd like for you to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9. I'm reading from the New King James Version today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth quotes from the book of Isaiah, and he says in verse 9, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the hearts of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, see, I don't know about you, but I've, I've read this passage many times in the past. And every time I've read this passage, I've always thought of the future. I've always thought about heaven. 
And I always think to myself, man, what God has prepared for us, we can't even imagine. I mean, are we going to be able to fly in heaven? Well, I don't know because the Bible says that we can't imagine what it's going to be like. And we ask ourselves, man, or we tell ourselves, it is going to be so awesome because the Bible says that ear has not heard, eye has not seen, the heart of man cannot imagine. There are some translations that say the mind cannot comprehend the things that God has prepared for us. Well, let me just throw this out there. What if this verse applies now? What if it's not a future thing? What if this verse starts now? Now listen, the book of Jeremiah tells us that God has a plan for your life. I mean, the Bible is clear. He says, I know the thoughts that I have towards you. They are thoughts or there are plans of peace and prosperity. In other words, God longs for us to be at peace with life. He wants us to prosper And that word there, prosper, doesn't necessarily mean just prosper financially. You know, a lot of times in today's day and age, we think of prosperity only in terms of money and finances, resources, what we have in the bank. But but God's picture for your life is a lot bigger than that. God isn't just worried about how much money you have. No, God wants you to prosper in every way possible. He wants you to be at peace. He wants you to be fulfilled at work. He wants your families to be together, your relationships to thrive and and work. So God has a plan for your life. That plan is a plan of peace and a plan to prosper. So we know that God has a plan for our lives. But we sometimes get caught up, don't we, in wanting to understand step by step, detail by detail, what is God's plan for my life exactly? What is his plan for me tomorrow, three years from now, five years from now, 20 years from now? What are the long range goals here, God? I want to know. And is it possible? that maybe we're asking for something that God can't give us right now. Now, see, you might not like the sound of that. That might go, ooh, Pastor Q, that's not how I operate. But is it possible that as we enter into this covenant relationship with him, that he will lead you and guide you in his purpose day by day, step by by step, and that we might not know five years from now where God wants us. Now, last week we started this sermon series entitled Captivated by the Wonder. And if you were here last week, you will remember that I I entitled this Captivated by His Wonder because I want to once again be captivated by the wonder that is the birth story of Christ. You know, sometimes we just fly through the holidays with a checklist and we have all these things we need to do. We need to buy all of these presents. We need to make sure and buy the food and prepare the food because we have family coming over and then we have a trip to go visit the in-laws and it's go, 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 go. And sometimes we fly through this season without really ever taking the time to stop 
and look at the details of the birth story of Christ and be captivated by the wonder that is the birth story of Christ. And so you might remember last week I shared a story about my ornithology class at Southern. I needed an extra science. I didn't know what to do. And so I took ornithology. The rumor was that it was an easy science to take. And sure enough, it wasn't that difficult. But oh my, did it just open a whole new world for me. Because now when I see birds flying around, I just don't pass by. I take the time to pay attention. And when you do that, oh my, you're just captivated by the wonder all around us. You're captivated by the beauty that God has created for us. I remember the first time I saw an indigo bunting for the first time. It is this indigo blue. It's so bright. It's so beautiful. I remember the first time I saw it, come to find out they're all over the place. You just have to pay attention. You have to look. And when you see them, you're captivated by the wonder. And so I don't want to go through this holiday season without paying attention to the birth story, looking at some of the details of the birth story so that we once again can be captivated by the wonder that is the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in so doing, we will learn lessons that we can apply to our lives. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew because we're going to look at one of these stories and we're going to look at it in a little more detail than perhaps you're used to. But go to the book of Matthew chapter 1. It's the first book of the New Testament. It's hard to miss. Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to start this story with verse 18. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Now, we need to stop there. Because this word betrothed is an interesting one in, in, in what it represents. The closest thing that I can probably share with you to help you understand what this means is engagement. Being engaged to someone. But it's not the same thing, you see, because back in Bible times, being engaged was a big deal. It's not like today where you just, you know, ask someone to marry you and you kind of give them a ring and then they say yes and then there's a period of engagement. But if in that period of engagement nowadays, if, if you have a change of heart or, you know, things aren't going the way that you want them to, you know, you can always just go back and say, yeah, I think we ought to break off the engagement. And no harm, no foul, you go your separate ways. And, you know, obviously there's hurt and maybe emotional feelings because maybe one was more invested than the other, but it's okay. It happens in our society. Engagements are broken off all the time, but not during Jesus's time and not during the time of being betrothed to someone. You see, because by the time a couple was betrothed to one another, they had already made a covenant that they were going to spend the rest of their lives together. The contract had already been signed. The certificate had already been signed on the dotted line. Now, they couldn't consummate the marriage until the actual, after the marriage ceremony. But to be betrothed to someone meant that you were going to marry them. And this period had to last at least 
seven days, and it would sometimes take six months, sometimes it would take a year, sometimes it would take up to two years as they would get their household, household in order, they would get the finances in order, they would make all the arrangements necessary to come together and cohabitate together. It would sometimes take a long time. You might remember in the Old Testament, it took Jacob seven years. I like what the Bible says, though, about Jacob. It says that, that even though it, it, it was seven years, because he was so in love with Rachel, it says it felt like days. But sometimes it took a long time for them to get everything in order. And so no easy thing here. It's not like our engagement today. No, 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 no. This was serious stuff. They had already committed to each other. The contract had already been signed. The certificate had already been signed. And it's during this time now, it says Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So they had committed to each other. They were going to get married or finalize the marriage is really a better way of saying it. And during this period of intense engagement, Mary is pregnant. Could you imagine? Could you imagine being Joseph? It's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Wait a second here. Time out. We haven't been together. That's not allowed until the, after the cer- marriage ceremony. So what is going on? Now, I would venture to say safely that I think in today's day and age, that engagement would have been broken off. Uh-uh. No. If your heart is with another man, then you need to go with him. But no, uh, not, not here. Not me. There's a door. Well, the Bible tells us here in verse 19 that Joseph was struggling. It says here, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, I'm going to come back to that, a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So here Joseph is having these thoughts that, yeah, this is not going to work. We need to bring an end to this. Now, the word there, just, is an interesting one. It can be translated a righteous or an upright man, but it's an interesting word because there are two schools of thought on what this word really means. On the one hand, over here, the word means that he was just, he was upright, he honored the law, the letter of the law. In other words, Whatever the law says, that's what we're going to do. That has two implications. We're going to come back to that. But over here, on the other hand, the other school of thought is that he, how should I say this? He, he valued more mercy and justice And this is evidenced by what Christ says later in the book of Matthew where he says, do not neglect the weightier matters of the law, which is to have justice, have mercy, and have faith. 
And so there's two schools of thought here. One, letter of the law, this is what has to happen. And then the other school of thought is he was a just man, but a just man in that he was merciful. He was gracious. Now, I lean more on this side just because of what happens later in the story. We read what happens. But anyways, going back to these two implications on this side, the two implications were you can have a public hearing where everything is laid out for everyone to see. And this is exactly what happened. And this is how Mary has committed adultery against me. This is how she has wronged me. And so everything is out in the public. Everybody knows. The whole community knows. She is shamed and she will carry this reputation for the rest of her life. The other way of taking care of it lawfully was to have a secret trial And during the secret trial, it would be you, Mary, you would have a few witnesses, you would go and you would have this trial, the divorce would be made final, and then everyone quietly goes their own way, and then you just answer questions however you see fit. And that's what the two schools of thought here. One, just the law. He could have done it two ways. The other way, that he was a just man, he was a merciful and gracious man, which as we read the story, that's why I kind of lean towards this school of thought more. But this is what it says here, verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take to you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth the Son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child. And bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then the Bible says in verse 24, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, he's struggling. He's having all these thoughts. Mary has just shared with him that she's pregnant. It's possible that by this time, Mary had already gone to see Elizabeth, her sister, who was also pregnant, you might remember, with John the Baptist. So it's possible that Joseph's at home all alone struggling with this. What do I do? Do I take her? Do I marry her? Should I divorce her? Do I make it a, a, a big scene? No, 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 no. We're going to do it, you know, under the table so that nobody knows. Or maybe we need to do this a little more graciously, a little bit more merciful. He's struggling with this. And in the middle of this struggle of what do I do? What is God's will? I mean, what should I do here? I mean, this could affect the rest of my life in a very negative way. What should I do? God reveals to him what he needs to do. And the Bible tells us that he arose and almost immediately, 
I mean, the Bible seems to indicate that it was bam, bam, right? That there, there wasn't a period of, oh, whoa, 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 wait, God, wait a second. I need to pray about this. Uh, whoa, whoa, wait a second. I need to seek some counsel on this. Uh, you know, I need to get together my friends and, you know, I need to get together my family. It, it's like bam, bam, right? He takes Mary to be his wife. In other words, he puts his own desires, he puts his own will on the back burner. He takes his pride and he says, okay, God, if this is what you want me to do, I'm going to put all of that aside. It's important to me, but it's not as important to me as what you want for my life. So he puts all of that aside and he follows the will of God for his life when God reveals to him what he ought to do. Now, we're going to pick up the story in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. But before we read that, you probably know the story, but let me just kind of refresh it, kind of bring you up to speed. The Roman emperor has declared that everyone must register. And so they are to go from Nazareth, where they're living, down to Bethlehem, which is where Joseph was from, to register. Now, does anyone want to guess how far Bethlehem is from Nazareth? In the early church, someone said five miles. And I said, man, five miles is a lot. I mean, for a pregnant woman. And I mean, we know that she was like almost about to give birth. I mean, because as, as soon as she got to Bethlehem, you know, it was soon after that, that, you know, Jesus is there. So five miles. Can you imagine traveling five miles? But it wasn't five miles. It wasn't 10. It wasn't 20. 70 miles to go from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. You see, sometimes we just go through this season not paying attention to the details, and we think, oh, how cute. Mary got on the little donkey. She went down to Bethlehem. No, no, no. They took a 3,000-year-old trade route down to Bethlehem. They say maybe four, six miles a day. We're talking about several weeks on the trail trying to get down to Bethlehem. Can you imagine traveling for two, three weeks pregnant on a donkey, carrying all your belongings, your food, your mat, your little tent, whatever you pitch up to, to sleep on the side of the road? I mean, this was a big ordeal. And, you know, as I got to thinking about this, I, I thought to myself, maybe Joseph did leave with enough time to get to Bethlehem and find a place to stay. Right? But maybe he had never traveled with a pregnant woman before. And things got delayed along the way. And when they thought they could do six miles today, we only ended up going one. But 70 miles later, they find themselves in Bethlehem. By that time, everything is full. They can't find a place to stay. 
And you know the story. They find a place there um, at the end where Jesus is born. Now let's pick up the story in verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. What is God's will? He has this dream, and it's like bam, bam. Almost immediately, that same night, honey, guess what? We're going to Egypt. Does anybody want to guess how far Egypt is from Bethlehem. Not 70, not even 140. The closest it could have been was 230 miles away. 230 miles away. It could have been up to 260 miles away. This was a journey that didn't take weeks. This journey took months. For them to get to Egypt. Now listen. Sometimes we hear the voice of God and we say, wait a second, God. That sounds a little too complicated. That sounds a little too cumbersome. You know, I'm not sure that I'm ready for that. Or maybe I just ate too much last night and, honey, I had a nightmare God was telling us that we need to sell everything we have and go to to Africa as missionaries or that we need to serve in Central America. God revealed to me that we need to leave our house and it occurs to me, and I struggle with this too, but it occurs to me that we have positioned ourselves in this society, in this culture that we live in, that we have positioned ourselves in such a way that it's really difficult to do what God wants us to do if he calls us to do something. I asked someone earlier this week just to kind of get a little feedback. How long would it take you to move if you felt God calling you somewhere Man, at least two months. And I understand that. I probably would have said the same thing. There's a house we need to put up on the market. There's cars that we need to sell. There's stuff we need to put in storage. So God, before I can answer your call, there's things I need to take care of. Now listen, I am not suggesting that we don't plan and I'm not suggesting that that we don't create a home and a family. But is it possible that for as much as we ask for God to reveal to us his will for our lives, we've really put ourselves in a situation that his will really better match up with what I want or else it's not going to happen. It's really not going to happen. God, you can't really be calling me for that. It's a little too complicated. And as a result, we find ourselves in this like big old loophole where we're asking God for his will, but at the same time, we're trying to maybe trick him into telling us what we want. (laughs) I remember a few years ago, one of my previous churches, I had a gentleman that came up to me and he said, he said, Pastor Q, he says, I've really been struggling here. 
I've been wanting to buy an Escalade for so long. I just love these cars, but I can't justify spending that much money on an Escalade. But have you seen them? I mean, you throw a, a, a 22 inch on it and I mean, they're beautiful, aren't they? But I can't justify. I said until the other night, until the, I was praying about it. He says to me, and God revealed to me that if I buy this Escalade, I can transport pathfinders all over the place. <laughs> all right. As if God couldn't transport pathfinders in a 16-passenger van that costs a fraction. But if we put ourselves in a position that we want to know God's will, but at the end of the day, we really don't. Like we're not ready to fully surrender and submit. We're not ready to really say, God, here I am. Take all that I am, all that I have, whatever it is that you want, wherever it is that you want me to go. And if you're asking me to leave it all tomorrow, God, I will. Hmm. We keep on reading the story. And apparently this is a, a habit for Joseph. Because we pick up the story in verse 19 and it says, Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. We have reason to believe that he had intentions to settle back down in, in Israel somewhere, maybe around um, Bethlehem, maybe going back to the birthplace of Christ. We, we kind of have indications of that. But, but when he found out who was ruling, he was like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. I know Herod is dead, but man, have you heard about his son? His son's like twice as bad. And so he wasn't excited about going back to that area in verse 22. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee back up to Nazareth. So remember, you have, you have 230 miles back and then 70 miles back up. All right. And it says, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. But here again, time and time again, we see this attitude that says, God, whatever you want, when you reveal your will to me, whatever it is, I'm going to drop what I'm doing and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to put pride on the back burner. I'm going to put my plans on the back burner. Yeah, I mean, I know I have plans for this business to grow and I have charted it out for the next 15 years. But God, if you're calling me to do something else, I'm going to abandon that for your honor and your glory. And I'm going to put it all on the back burner and I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to surrender to you. And is it possible that we have perhaps bought into a lie that says you need to know what's going to happen tomorrow? 
You need to know where you're going to be next week. You need to know where your family's going to be a year or five years from now or 20 years from now. And so we're kind of in this rut that says, no, this is what I'm supposed to do. And we've placed ourselves in a position where it's hard for us to submit as Joseph did, to surrender as Joseph did to the will of God whenever that will is revealed. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. The heart of man cannot imagine the things that he has prepared for you and we instead try and put God in a little box and we try and define him, we try and figure him out and we try and say, okay, God, this is how it works in my world. This is how it operates where I'm from. And I was talking to some seniors last night. And I shared with them that it is impossible to put God in a box. God is too big to put in a box. And his ways are just unmeasurable. His ways are unknown to us. And that really the best thing that we can do is just say, God, I surrender. I submit. Wherever it is that you're calling me, God, I'm not, I refuse to be tied down to the things of this world. And I am willing to walk away no matter what the cost. If you're calling me, I'm going to follow. I want to share with you a story that I just came across a couple of weeks ago. Has anyone here heard the name Phil Vetzel? You have... Phil Vettel. See, most people here will not recognize that name, but you will certainly recognize what he created or what he founded. Phil Vetzer is a creator and founder of VeggieTales. Everybody know VeggieTales? I know you know about VeggieTales. You know, I bet that about 80% of you here today can sing the VeggieTales theme song. <laughs> VeggieTales, VeggieTales, VeggieTales. It's all over the place. <laughs> we, we know what he created. You need to Google his name and you need to read his story in detail. I'm just going to share with you a little bit. Most people don't know that VeggieTales went under several years ago. He had to file for bankruptcy. VeggieTales started very small. It was a concept, an idea that he had to to somehow take Bible truths and simplify them and take these Bible truths using media to introduce it to families and little children and introduce it to our world. And man, was it successful. The business grew and it grew so fast beyond anyone's expectation. I mean, it just took off. When you read his story, he talks about how his wife and a few friends, they just, they worked around the clock to put together the first, the first episode, the first production. And then they, they mailed it out to 500 families that had requested this. And then from those 500, it just took off. The business was a multi-million dollar business with many, many employees. At one point, 
This was the largest animation production from coast to coast. That is how big VeggieTales got. But when you read his story, when you read his testimony, and you can probably even YouTube it because he has since come out in public to share his story. There was a long time there where he did not want to share There was a lot of time there where he was really struggling with his business, having gone under, having filed for bankruptcy. And and for a while there, he didn't want to talk to anyone. He didn't want to do anything. But he has now finally come out. He's written a book. And I want to tell you about his new business. But this business got so big and it's interesting to hear him and his view about what happened to his business the corporation, which was entitled Big Idea. He says, when I was running Big Idea, in his words, he says, I had a barracuda mentality. A barracuda mentality. You see what you want and you go for it. And it doesn't matter who stands in your way, a barracuda mentality. And he says that even though his corporation, Big Idea, which produced VeggieTales. He says, even though it was a small company at the very onset of the company, we were all about, God, what do you want? God, what is it that you want us to produce? God, what Bible stories do you want us to share? And that's how it started. But as it got bigger and bigger, he says, Phil says, that as the business got bigger, I just started to come up with more ideas and more ideas about how I can make my business grow. More ideas, more ideas. And he says, the unfortunate thing was that it was my ideas. I had stopped going to God and asking God, God, what is it that you want for big idea? God, where are you leading Veggie tales. God, what is it that, that you want me to do? What new markets do you want me to open? God, where is it that you want me to go? It kind of reminds me of a story of a king in the Old Testament, King Asa, who when he first started off, man, he did everything according to the will of God. And because of it, Judah prospered, Judah grew. But then later on in the story, oh, it turned so horribly bad. It went to his head. He started doing things his own way. He started saying, no way, God, I have a better idea. And when you read the story of Asa, it ends with him turning away from God and throwing the prophet and his family in prison. And it's such a sad story. And this is what happened to Phil. Phil's business grew and it got to the point where he says he wanted to have a Christian world Disney. That's what he wanted. He wanted a Christian version of Walt Disney. He just wanted to just just grow it so big. Unfortunately, he had stopped asking God, God, what is it that you want? And so he tells a story about him sitting at the back of bankruptcy court as his business was being put up for auction and investors were there bidding on the business that he had created along with God and God's vision. And you read the story and he just talks about very openly about the hurt, the pain that his family went through. 
the hurt and the pain that all the families that were employed by, by Big Idea now had to be released. And he struggled with it. And he struggled with it for many years. He talks about how in this struggle, he asked the question, God, isn't this what you wanted from the beginning? How can you allow this to happen? Sound familiar? I mean, God, I mean, I thought this is what you wanted. I mean, after all, you know, I led you to, to, to finally approve what I wanted. And now that it's not good, didn't you allow this to happen? Fortunately, fortunately, Phil saw his error. And instead of getting resentful, and instead of getting mad at God, he realized where he went wrong. He realized that he had stopped asking God, God, what is your will? And so his new business, his new business with you can check it out. He called his new business, check this out, Jellyfish. You can go to jellyfish.com. Jellyfish? Well, that's an odd name, isn't it? But as you read the interview, he says, I want it a constant reminder of what my life needs to be, that I'm not a barracuda. I'm a jellyfish. That's what we are, a jellyfish. And he, he goes on to explain, you see, a jellyfish, you know, really doesn't decide where it's going to go. A jellyfish really can just maybe propel itself a couple inches this way, a couple inches that way. But for the most part, a jellyfish spends its life going where the current takes it. And so he says, for my new business, I want to be a jellyfish. I want to go where, the, where God's current takes me, wherever that might go. And so he says, and so in American businesses, it's weird that I don't have a 20-year plan. But in all reality, he says, I don't know where God's going to have me 20 years from now. He says, what I know is what God wants me to do today. I'm a jellyfish. Now, I'm not saying that we need to walk around life spineless. No, no, no. Because we can stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I think you understand the analogy here. I think you understand why Phil chose to name his business Jellyfish. Because he says, I don't want to be in charge anymore. I just want God to lead and I just want to be swept up in the current of God's will. Folks, we need to be jellyfish. You need to be a jellyfish. I need to be a jellyfish. And so as you leave out here today and as you think about God's will for your life, you need to think to yourself, I need to be a jellyfish. I need to be a jellyfish, be a jellyfish. God, wherever it is that you lead me, and I'm not, I may not know where I'm going to be tomorrow. I might not know where I'm going to be a year from now or 20 years from now, but that's okay because I'm a jellyfish in the current of God's will. I'm telling you, that if you do that, if you take that mindset, if you say, I'm going to be a jellyfish for Jesus Christ, 
Now, that sounds weird. I understand that. But if you take that mentality and say, I'm going to be a jellyfish for Jesus Christ, I'm telling you that God's bigger, better plan for your life will be revealed and will be accomplished in your life. You see, because if Joseph has followed the dictates of his own heart, if Joseph had said, God, that doesn't make any sense. If, if Joseph has said, God, I, I, you know, I, I'm not sure I get what you're saying. No, we're going to make do with what we have right here. He wouldn't have been a part of the bigger picture prophesied for all those years. I know that each of us desire God's purpose for our lives. But folks, we can't put them in a little box. We have to have a jellyfish mentality. And we need to say, God, whatever it is that you ask of me, I submit. I surrender. I am a jellyfish swept up in the current of God's will. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church would love to help you along the way. We are a family-oriented, grace-filled church serving the Frederick, Maryland area. You can learn more about us at frederick.sdachurch.org. For more podcasts, click the sermon audio link 